The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 11. If you're new around here and you want to be known, uh, the easiest way to do that is fill out a connect card. It's that gray and blue card in the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, second-time guest, if you've never filled one of those out, uh, we'd love to receive that so we can know who you are and how to pray for you. And uh, for each one of those that we get turned back in, we give $5 uh, currently to uh, Haywood County Flood Relief. So we'd love to be generous uh, on your behalf. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there are paperback ones in the seat backs there in front of you. The text will also be on the screen, but uh, I'd love for you to have it in front of you. And uh, Ryan, when you get a second, pull those lights up just a little bit more so these people can see their Bibles. That would be fantastic. So we've been working through the book of Acts. And uh, Acts, as I've said before, is is really all about the, the, the power of God at work through everyday ordinary people like you and me, bringing the kingdom of God. Uh, into this world. And we have seen over the last few chapters, the spirit of God moving in incredible ways, uh, taking the gospel from Jerusalem uh, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the the ends of the known world at that time. Uh, Last week, we saw the conversion of the very first Gentile, non-Jewish believers. Uh, The the very first non-Jews came into the kingdom of God with this man Cornelius in chapter 10, uh, and his friends and family were all gathered, and the Spirit fell as they were hearing the gospel. Now, this was huge news. Uh, This was the first time this had ever happened, and so uh, I'm going to summarize the first 18 verses of chapter 11 because it's really Peter retelling what happened in chapter 10, which we looked at uh, last week. So what happens is this this, um, gospel coming to the, the Gentiles Um, demands an explanation. Uh, Ever since Jesus gave the commission to his disciples, ever since Acts 1-8, when he said, you will be my witnesses uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, his disciples, who were all Jewish, had understood that as, you will be my witnesses to Jews of all all nations, of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And so they had never proclaimed the gospel to Gentiles before. But when they heard about this, uh, they were stunned by it. And so Peter returns to, to give a report uh, in Jerusalem. That's where the church is sort of founded. That's home base. And at first he receives criticism. If you remember in chapter 10, when, when uh, he came to the house of Cornelius, he said, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here. Not that the Jewish law actually condemned it, but that tr- their tradition uh, and, and their customs did not allow Jews and Gentiles to have anything to do with each other. Uh, and so when Peter comes back to tell this story, he gets criticism. Hey, you hung out with Gentiles. And he's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me explain, right? And he begins to tell them this vision that he had in Joppa, the, the pig in the blanket dream, as we talked about last week, all the unclean animals and how God told him to rise, kill, and eat. This metaphor for the gospel going to all nations, uh, to all peoples. Um, he, he explained to them how the spirit had fallen as he was proclaiming the gospel there in, in, uh, in Caesarea. And the church there is stunned by it. And they conclude, the Jerusalem church concludes, this gospel really is for all it really is for everybody. It gives new meaning to these, to these words, to these commands of Jesus, right? To go and make disciples of all nations. He really meant all nations. He really meant all peoples. So today, as we, as we move into uh, seeing a story where the gospel spreads further into Gentile territory, the followers of Jesus start to take on a unique identity. 
not one that, that they claim for themselves, but one that is given to them by the outside world, who's looking at them, looking at the way they live, and they're going, okay, they don't fit in any category. We're going to call them Christians. The first time that the followers of Jesus are called Christian, they have a name, an identity. Now, what's in a name? I was thinking about this when it comes to like when you're from state. So like how many of you by show of hands are native North Carolinians? Raise your hand. Okay, keep those hands up. If you would claim North Carolina, you've been here long enough that you would claim North Carolina as you're, as you're, you're, you're from here. How about raise your hand? Okay, yeah, same for me. I moved here when I was 10. I'll be 41 tomorrow. So I've been here longer than I've been in Tampa and who would want to claim Tampa anyway? Um, so what is it that makes a North Carolinian a North Carolinian? Okay, there's a few things, like we know how to properly say Appalachian, right? Um, that we, yeah, that's right. We, only, we know there's only one kind of tea, sweet. Um, uh, we know about Bojangles, amen, right? And uh, we, know, we know a whole lot about barbecue. It's a lot of food-related stuff in North Carolina <laughs> is what it is. Um, you might have your go-to cookout order, including your milkshake choice, you know? That's what make, and, and, and we know we're better than South Carolina. So there's a few things there that make us North Carolinians, right? Now, when you think about these people becoming known as Christian, what, what were some marks, this is what we're going to look at this morning, what were some marks that made this Christian people uncommon? What made them stand out among the people uh, of Antioch. So that's kind of what we're going to be aiming for this morning. And I have three marks. Uh, there are more, but there are at least three marks uh, of the people of God that we'll take a look at here in Acts chapter 11. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 19, uh, since I just summarized for you verses 1 to 18. And uh, I'll read down to the end of the chapter. I'll pray for us, and we will get rolling here. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. You can follow along as I read. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. What, uh, when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to be your children, grateful to be gathered together in this room under the authority of your word and in the presence of your spirit. And Lord, we come in, many of us um, broken, many of us tired and weary, many of us um, struggling with indwelling sin. 
all of us in desperate need of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, as we look at this passage of the Scripture, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me uh, to rightly divide it for the benefit of your people. I pray that you would give us encouragement and conviction that you would meet us here, that you would do what only you can do through your word and by your spirit. And I pray that all of us will walk away having heard something from the Lord this morning. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has never surrendered to the Lord Jesus, that they would do so today. We give you great thanks and praise for this time of study. We ask your blessing over this time in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. So if you remember back to chapters seven and eight, Stephen is the first martyr in the Christian church. After he's killed Saul, uh, this, this Jew of the Jews who hates Jesus, he ravages the church in Jerusalem. And so the people who are part of the church in Jerusalem, uh, which is the only church at the time, they all scatter, right? They go all kinds of different places, some of them just to surrounding towns, some of them hundreds of miles away to other places. They end up all over the place. So they mention here towns like Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch is one of them as well. And now there were already Jews in these places because of previous dispersions. If you've read the Old Testament, you, you know that uh, there would be wars, uh, people would, would conquer Jerusalem. People would be scattered. The Jews would be scattered. And many of them never returned home to Jerusalem. They stayed where they were and set up shop there. And so there were Jews in all of these areas. And as, as I mentioned earlier, and as the text mentioned, the disciples, as they went to these towns, they were only at first proclaiming the gospel to the Jews. That ju- that's just was their normal pattern. But after this report of Cornelius, this Gentile becoming a Christian, the floodgates are sort of wide open uh, and, and they're emboldened to be able to share the gospel uh, to everyone. And so these everyday ordinary people, they embrace Jesus's mission. This is not leaders. This is not apostles. This is everyday ordinary Christians like you and me who are going to these new places, these new towns, and they are on mission with Jesus with an uncommon boldness. So if you're a note taker, that's our first point, that, that these people were marked by an uncommon boldness. Let's look at it again here in the first few verses. Verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who upon coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. That it means Greek-speaking Gentiles. In previous uh, iterations, previous um, uh, chapters, we've looked at Hellenists meant Greek-speaking Jews, but here it means Greek-speaking Gentiles. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And then the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So these people have an uncommon boldness. They, they say to themselves, if the gospel is truly for all, then let's go to these places where a lot of different ethnicities and, and, and cultures are represented. So they go to Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. And it was a multi-ethnic culture, multi-ethnic city. Uh, they're actually, um, as they've sort of uh, done archaeological findings, uh, there was a wall around the city of Antioch, but then there were also walls inside the city to separate the various different ethnicities and cultures. They did not get along with each other. And so they had their little ghettos, so to speak. There were at least 18 different cultures and ethnicities represented in the city of Antioch. And so they go there and, and they begin to preach the gospel to everybody, right? Because this gospel is for everybody. 
And, and they start sharing with these Greek-speaking non-Jews. Uh, and, and the text says they're preaching, but that word is the same word that we have for, for evangelize. So don't see them as like standing up on a platform or a soapbox with a megaphone and going, you need to trust in Jesus or any kind of sign or anything like that. They were just going about their everyday normal life, sharing about Jesus. All right. You see that with Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he goes into uh, Athens, you know, he's just striking up conversation with people in the synagogues, people in the, uh, you know, in the marketplaces, uh, just sharing about Jesus with anyone who would listen to him. So this isn't preaching in that strict sense of like what I'm doing right now. It's just evangelizing. It's sharing about Jesus. God's hand was uniquely upon these early evangelists and these Hellenists, these Greek-speaking non-Jews, start opening up to receive the gospel. They're hearing about the life of Jesus lived for them. Jesus, God in the flesh, tempted in every way that we are, but he's without sin. He's, he's perfect and pure and holy and blameless and above reproach, and he, he fulfills all God's righteous requirements for us. They hear about Jesus' death on the cross, taking the, the blame, taking the punishment, the guilt, the shame, taking the wrath of God and the judgment of God against sin into himself, absorbing God's righteous wrath and turning it into blessing so that any who would receive him with the empty hands of faith can be forgiven. They, they heard about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, conquering Satan's sin, death, and hell for them. They heard about his ascension, returning back to the right hand of the Father, and that he would come again to make all things new. And these Greek-speaking non-Jews, upon hearing about Jesus, they repent, they turn away from their sin, they trust in him, they receive this good news, they surrender themselves to the lordship of Christ. And many, many, many people start to become Christians uh, in this city. This message makes its way back to Jerusalem, and the church there knows God is up to something. And so they send Barnabas to confirm it. Now, this makes me think that, that this might have been one of Barnabas's roles in the early church. Uh, if you remember when Saul is converted in Damascus and then he goes to Jerusalem, who comes with him to advocate? Barnabas. And, and we're going, how did Barnabas know Saul's story? Because we don't have any interaction between them before that. And likely what happened was that Saul, excuse me, Barnabas was sent to Damascus to hear, to hear about what happened there. And he had heard Saul's story and he could come back and advocate. So this is maybe his, his job is he goes to where the gospel is taking root and he confirms it. He encourages the, those new disciples there. But whatever the, whatever the reality, um, he's there. And we're going to see him uh, uh, in just a few minutes here. Now, what do we learn from this first section? I think two things stand out to me. One one is this. You never know who's going to respond to the gospel. So share it boldly. You never know who is going to respond to the gospel message. So share it boldly. All we've seen over the last four chapters is what we might call unlikely converts right? People from other cultures, uh, people dabbling in the occult, uh, Saul who hated Jesus, like all these people become Christians. And it reminds me that, you know, Jesus said in in Luke chapter 5, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, guess what? Every one of us in the room and everybody that you know is a sinner, which means the gospel really is for all. It's for every single person one of us. And Acts reminds us that if we are saved, we are also sent. We are uniquely placed at this time 
uh, in this vocation or at this school, in this neighborhood, in this apartment complex, among these friends, at this gym, at this coffee shop, whatever. We're uniquely placed to be, to be witnesses for Jesus. So take courage in that. Right Here's the reality. There are people in your life right now that no one else in this room can reach but you. And God wants to use you. Now, he is sovereign, he saves, but he has uniquely placed you in those relationships to be a messenger for the gospel to him. And and let me tell you, some of you might be going, yeah, I don't know, I'm an introvert, or I just don't know if that's my place to tell other people about my faith, or, um, you know, who am I to sort of try to convert them to my side of things, you know, to, to, to come to Jesus. And with, with all the respect and love and grace that I have, I just want to remind you, like if we would spend half as much time talking about Jesus as we have over the last year trying to convince people of our position regarding COVID and masks and vaccines, do you know what God might do with that? Do, do you have any idea what God might do with that? If we would get, not that those things are not important, but they're not ultimate and we get, we get our eyes on the things of this world that are going to burn up, and we forget the things that are eternal. If we would spend half that energy talking about Jesus and trying to win people to Jesus instead of to our argument, you'd be amazed at what God might do with that. Like, imagine if God would choose to use you to help connect someone else to Jesus. And if we truly believe the gospels for all, and if we truly believe the hand of the Lord is upon us, then why not? Why not give ourselves to that? The other thing that I think is important um, is that it is good for us to share stories with one another of what God is up to. This story of what is happening in Antioch makes its way to the Jerusalem church and they're encouraged by it and they're emboldened by it, right? And they want to know what God is up to. And so they send Barnabas to confirm that. And it just reminds me that like God is on the move in all of our lives. He's, in the, he's on the move in our relationships and, and how fruitful it would be if we would just take time to share with one another what God might be up to. And I don't just mean victory stories. Like some of you might have that story where you're like, yeah, I went up to this homeless crack addict and I told him the gospel and now he's a Christian physician, you know? And you're like, cool, that's all right. That's maybe not everyone's story. Um, but some of you also might have the story where you're like, you know, I felt prompted by the spirit and I went to talk to my neighbor. He's struggling, you know, as a dad and a husband and And so I just shared with him that I have the same struggles, but Jesus is with me and I'm learning because of Jesus to to be a better husband and father. And he was like, yeah, that's BS. I don't want to believe it. And guess what? There's there's no less faithfulness in either one of those stories, right? So we can share the victories for sure, but we can share those times where we're like, hey, I I felt like I needed to reach out and it didn't go well, you know? And we go, "Hey, hey, praise God that you had the courage to step out, right? So if you're in a community group, take some time this week right? If you can think of a story of like God on the move or at work or where the spirit prompted you or where the gospel conversation might've taken place, share that story. If there's a person that you're like, you know, I need to talk to them, but I just feel nervous or whatever, share that story. And and I'd love to to create an opportunity, you know, here, even in our church gatherings where people can share uh, both the struggle and the success of being open about the gospel with other people. So the gospel makes us a people who are marked by uncommon boldness. That's the first thing. But secondly, we see that we are a people marked by uncommon encouragement. Uncommon encouragement. Look with me at verse 23. So when Barnabas came, 
and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted, another translation there is encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That's amazing. So, so we, we are a people marked by uncommon encouragement. Barnabas travels 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's about the distance of like Asheville to Savannah on a horse. <laughs> it's going to take you a little bit, okay? So he, he gets there and he finds the grace of God on display. He finds these non-Jewish people who've now surrendered to Jesus, who love the Lord, love one another, are hungry at, to grow and to learn how to be a community, how to be the church. Um, and notice the description of Barnabas that I think we should all s- strive for. Verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Like if that's, the, if that's the epitaph on your tombstone at the end of your life, won't that be a win? She was a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Lord, would you make us that kind of people who others will look at and go, He's a good man. She's a good woman. Look at him, full of the spirit, full of faith. That's who we want to be, the kind of people who who can be spoken of like that. And Barnabas does what he's best at. If you remember um, when we met Barnabas earlier in the the book of Acts, uh, his name means what? Do you remember? Son of encouragement. So he does what he's made to do. He encourages, he exhorts these people. He is discipling them with encouragement. He is training them on how to follow Jesus with exhortation, with encouragement. He's saying things like, you matter to the Lord. You matter so much, he sent Christ for you. You you mean something to him. He has purpose for you. Stay wholehearted. That's when he says faithful. Stay wholehearted in your devotion to him because he loves you and he is with you. He He has purpose for you. He disciples them through uncommon encouragement. There is so much in this world that wears us down, that divides our attention, that robs us of our affections, uh, that discourages us, isn't there? So much in this. How, how many of you, how much encouragement do you get out there in your everyday life? Not much, right? But the family of God is uniquely called to be a community of deep encouragement and comfort and love. And one of the ways that people are changed is by seeing the power of the gospel at work in us. And one of the ways the power of the gospel is at work in us is to change us into people of encouragement. Right? It doesn't make us all Enneagram 2s. It makes us a people of encouragement, whatever our personality and gifting. Because we become more like Jesus. See, Jesus does not change us by coercion, does he? Jesus does not change us through guilt or shame. Uh, Jesus does not change us by threats. And if you think that's the way Jesus changes you, you have a whole different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Jesus encourages us towards change. One scholar I read said that the fundamental Christian experience is one of encouragement. When the gospel starts to dawn on us, 
when we begin to realize that the God we have ignored and run from our entire lives has pursued us (laughs) with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration, when we realize that even now we often fail and even rebel against him, and yet we will never, ever, ever be able to wear him out. That's why Paul reminds us in in Romans chapter 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, there is not now, nor will there ever be any condemnation for you. What does condemnation mean? It means accusation. It means indictment. It means denunciation. And if you are in Christ, those things are no longer for you. If you are hearing accusation, indictment, condemnation, that is not from Jesus. And if in Christ there is no condemnation, that means there must be only the opposite of condemnation, which is what? Advocacy, consolation, comfort, encouragement. And boy, do we need it. Uh, My friend Ray says, no one has ever suffered from being (laughs) over-encouraged. That's why Hebrews, Hebrews actually commands us. Whoever the author of Hebrews was said, uh, let us exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because everything in this world wants to pull us down, weary us, harden us, and discourage us. But in the gospel, we find encouragement. We find uh, the tenderness of the Lord Jesus. So may we be a people as a church, may we be a people, may we be a place where we all together can experience the strengthening and the reassurance that comes with confidence in Christ. Encouragement in the Lord Jesus. Now, we are not good at this. I am not good at this. But you know what? We don't have to be good at it. We simply have to be open We come in humility with open hands before the Lord who is our endless source of encouragement and he changes us into his image and he makes us a people of deep encouragement. And when we do that, it is attractive. It is compelling. And you see here in the text that um, after he does this, verse 24, uh, a great many people were added to the Lord. When we start living like this, when we start being a people of mutual encouragement and it's so distinct and different than the rest of the world, people get a whiff of it and they're like, what is that? Can I get in on that? I would like to be encouraged, right? I I feel so beat down from the world. Can I have some encouragement? And we go, yes, it's available to you in Jesus. And people are attracted to it and people want it and people are compelled by it. A great number of people were added to the church and this is where uh, this, this unique movement of Christians starts to take form. Because, as I mentioned earlier, Antioch uh, was a segregated city. But when the gospel started to take root, when the gospel started to spread, people of all these different ethnicities and backgrounds started to believe it, and they started crossing those cultural barriers in order to be one church together. And it was so distinct and so different that the people of Antioch looking at this said, okay, we got to find another name for these people. 
because we can't identify them by ethnicity and we can't identify them as some sect of the Jews because they're different than that. There were so many different branches and sects of the Jews that the the, uh, Antiochians just said Jews. They didn't even categorize them. But this was unique and different and distinct and they had to give them a name and so they called them Christians. That little I-A-N at the end, Christ, I-A-N, Christian, simply means belonging to the party of. And we all know there ain't no party like a Jesus party because a Jesus party is forever. Uh, But isn't it fascinating that they saw that the, the people of Antioch who did not believe, they saw in these people that they belonged to Jesus. They, they said to them, you belong to Jesus. Is it evident that we belong to Jesus? So now Barnabas, he goes and gets Saul. Saul's been kind of on the sidelines. We don't know what he's been up to, but he's back home in Tarsus. Uh, and he's been there for probably a few years now, but Uh, Barnabas knows he needs help discipling these new believers, and so he goes and he gets uh, Saul. They come back, and they spend an entire year with this church. Now, this is really important because the church at Antioch is going to become a hub for mission and ministry from this point forward. And the time that, that Barnabas and Saul spend discipling, building relationship, encouraging, blessing, uh, and, and loving these people is going to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God going forward throughout the book of Acts and even uh, now today. So uh, that is uncommon encouragement. You guys hanging in with me? All right, let me get a sip of water and let's look at this last little piece, uh, a people marked by uncommon generosity. The third mark of these people, at least in this passage, is that they are marked by uncommon generosity. Look with me at verse 27. Excuse me. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, historically validated. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, Christian prophet may sound strange to you, depending on the background that you come from, um, but all we know is that a prophet in the Old Testament was someone who spoke to the people for God. Uh, Often it had to do with foretelling, right? Telling of events that would come. Um, You know, it it also had to do with foretelling, just telling the truth, bearing witness to the truth. Uh, and this happens in Acts 15, it happens in Acts 21, here in Acts 11. Uh, and so uh, regardless of your position on whether the, the, the gift of prophecy still exists, it was at least in transition during this time, and there were still some people uh, who could foretell things by the power of God's Spirit. So this guy Agabus, he comes to Antioch, maybe he's part of this discipleship program uh, that, that Saul and Barnabas had set up, he's there to teach, and, and the Holy Spirit gives him a message, there's going to be a famine, uh, this There were famines all over during this season, and uh, the area of Judea was hit particularly hard. And so what happens is the church here, they they hear about this story, they hear about this promise of a famine that's going to come, and and notice what it says here. The disciples, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief. This is not the leaders of the church. 
This is not the apostles. This is not Saul and Barnabas going, hey, we're going to command you to give. This is the disciples, these brand new believers in this brand new church, deciding among themselves that they are going to give. Um, These are brand new Christians who are driven to generosity by the gospel, not by religion, not by law, not by mandate, but by grace. And they give of themselves according to their ability. Some could give a lot, some could give a little, but everyone gave something to this offering. And then Paul, uh, Saul and, and Barnabas are able to distribute this money, take it to Jerusalem where it ends up being distributed uh, for the saints there in, in Judea. Now, the blessing and the curse of preaching through books of the Bible is that you are forced to talk about what the text talks about. So this, is, this was not pre-planned. This is not one of those like, hey, the offering's down, let's do a giving talk kind of, uh, kind of things. Not that we ever do that. And if you've been around here uh, for any length of time, you know we rarely talk about uh, money. And, um, and probably we should talk about it more because Jesus did. Um, but but so, so hear my heart in this. This is not a, a tithing sermon, right? Um, th- this is just part of the, the, the marks of these people. Now, a tithe is, is 10%. That's what was required in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, here's what we see. Jesus gave all. He gave everything to us. 2 Corinthians 8 reminds us that he who was rich, right, the eternal uh, realm of glory, he who was rich became poor for our sake on the cross so that we might become rich in him, that everything that we have, everything we are, Everything we have is a gift given to us by God for his glory and and for the good of others. And we are to steward what God has given us with the empty hands uh, of faith. Um, And and so we give, Christians give regularly, generously, sacrificially, joyfully, because we want to honor Jesus for his gift to us. Now, you may not know, if maybe you haven't been around very long, or, or maybe you don't pay attention uh, to sort of our finances, because we don't talk about it a ton, but I want you to know a couple things. Um, we, we are a church-planting church, uh, and so part of what that means is we have determined to give 10% of every dollar that comes in right back out to church planting. Primarily, that happens in Western North Carolina, several, one church, uh, Spruce Pine, uh, church in Asheville, church in Morganton. Uh, We've helped plant churches in Brevard and other places, and and our goal, our vision, our dream is to help plant a church in every one of the 22 counties that make up uh, the 828, Western North Carolina. Uh, So we're we're on our way to that, but uh, that's a commitment that we have. So 10% of our uh, income goes right back out to that. Um, About another 10%, um, and and as well, church planting globally, another 10% goes to local and global missions. Uh, uh, organizations in our city that are doing good things, organizations globally that are doing good, we give another almost 10% out the door to those organizations. Um, Many of you are are sponsors with Compassion International. Uh, Somewhere in the neighborhood of $70,000 to $80,000 a year goes goes out the door from you all as you sponsor children with Compassion, trying to rescue kids from poverty in the name of Jesus, specifically in the country of Tanzania. So grateful for our partnership there. Uh, there, there's benevolence, right? So as needs come up within our church family, we want to help try to meet those needs, whether that's paying, you know, medical bills or, or, you know, mortgages or new tires, groceries, you know, light bill, whatever, trying to support one another as we try to minister to each other in the household, uh, household of God. And so my point in that is simply this. We obviously depend 
on your generosity, right? As you have determined to give according to your ability. And some of you can give a lot and we praise God for that. And some of you can give a little and we praise God for that. But everyone can give something. And, uh, and this is not one of those times where it's like, you know, we're doing fine this year. Like we're ahead of our revenue goal. Things are great. Praise God for that. Uh, but it doesn't mean, hey, we're good. Everybody back off. This is one of those like, hey, reminder that if you're part of this covenant community, if you're part of this, this uh, church family, uh, that we all have a role to play in our, in our, in our generosity, in our uncommon generosity. And when everyone who is part of Missio, when everyone who calls this church family home gives, uh, gives of their time, gives of their gifts, their, their, their resources, their abilities, uh, we can bless others and we can advance the kingdom of God together. Uh, so this, this church at Antioch, it had a long run. You know, some churches, you know, last a, a season. Some churches last a generation and, and they fade. And, and sometimes that's just the Lord's will for them. Sometimes it's due to sin. Sometimes it's due to circumstances. But this church at Antioch, it had a very long run. Faithfulness to the Lord and fruitfulness for the Lord. These people in Antioch were so enthralled by the beauty and the glory of Jesus and his gospel, they actually became a hub for multiplication, for mission uh, out of Antioch. All three of Saul's, Paul's missionary journeys were, were sent from Antioch. He left there and, and uh, they would send people and resources and they, they funded sort of the, the mission of God uh, throughout the rest of the world for a very, very long time. And we want to get in on that right? We feel a responsibility as Missio Day Church. We're not a large church by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but we, we want to be a hub for maturing and multiplying disciples in Western North Carolina. We feel a responsibility to help people grow in their faith, to, to, to learn theology, to, to learn mission, to understand what it means to follow Jesus and, and to have that knowledge that gets applied to street life. And we want to see the kingdom multiply out of here. Church planters and, and teams of people sent to help uh, see churches fill our area. And uh, the, the only way that that is possible is when each of us understands the role that we have to play. And we are, we are generous and we are encouraging and we are evangelistic. So Missy O'Day, hear me. I am calling you today to embrace your uncommon identity as Christians, filled with God's Spirit, a people who live with an uncommon boldness, sharing the hope of Jesus with any who will hear it, a people of uncommon encouragement who are strengthening one another with confidence in Christ, and a people of uncommon generosity who are giving of our resources, who are giving of our gifts who are giving of our time to bless one another and to advance the mission of God. And it's only when we do that that we know we are past just going to church and we are actually embracing and living out the mission of God for us. And when we do that, when the power of God's gospel is in us and, and displayed through us, then Jesus will become non-ignorable in our city. Amen? Amen. So I got four questions I wanna finish with, just throw up on the screen here for you. And I'll pray for you and I'll get you out of here. We'll get on to some baptisms. First question is this, and I really want you to ask this honestly of yourself. Am I a Christian? Do I belong to Jesus? Do I know that I belong to Jesus? For some of you, 
you, you may not, and you need to cross that threshold of faith today and know that you belong. And for others of you, you've belonged to Jesus for a long time, and praise God for that. And let's reflect on that. What does it mean that I belong to Jesus, right? What are evidences and fruits of my belonging to Jesus that I identify as a Christian? Secondly, what is keeping me from uncommon boldness for Jesus? There's all kinds of things that get in the way of us sharing the hope of Christ. For some of us, it's just, I don't know enough, or I'm nervous, I'm anxious. Some of us are just lazy or apathetic. But God, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, we are all called to declare and to demonstrate the beauty and glory of Jesus. What is keeping me from, from an uncommon boldness for the name and the sake of the Lord Jesus? Third, where am I in need of uncommon encouragement? Maybe this is one of those places where you bring out that connect card and the backside of it's for prayer and, and you let us know where you're struggling. For some of us, it's, it's relational discord. For some of us, it's, um, it's indwelling sin. For some of us, it's, it's vocational disruption. For, for others, you know, it's just emotional, right? Like it's, it's depression, it's anxiety. It's just the weight of the world crashing in on us and, and we need encouragement. And Hebrews 3, as I said, tells us to exhort one another daily. That tells me it's okay to ask for encouragement. It's okay to ask one another for encouragement. And I don't, I don't just mean a pat on the back and like, you're a good guy, but like genuine encouragement in the Lord, genuine encouragement in the gospel, that God sees us, that he's with us, that he hears our pleas and our petitions and our prayers, that, 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 that he's with us in that. Where am I in need of uncommon encouragement? And then finally, how can I become uncommonly generous in response to Jesus. When I reflect on the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus for me, how everything I am and everything that I have is a gift from him, how can I give back? How can I be uncommonly generous with my resources financially, with my time, with the gifts that he's given me uh, to honor him for, for what he's given to me? So I'm gonna leave these questions on the screen for you. You can write them down. You can take a picture of the screen if you want with your phone uh, just to capture those. Take them to community group with you this week. Uh, go to lunch and talk about them with your friends or family, but I'd like you to think on those things. Maybe even right now, just, just take them into prayer. Um, we're gonna have just a time of silence. We're not gonna participate corporately in communion uh, this morning, so you can leave the, the cups and the seat backs there, but uh, I wanna give you a moment of silence just to reflect on, on what the Lord has spoken to you today. And then uh, I'll pray, and uh, the, the team's gonna come back up, lead us in a couple of songs, uh, and then I'll have a few announcements for you, and we'll get out there and uh, participate in some baptisms together. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the opportunity to open the scriptures and have you speak to us, and I do pray that something of what was said today uh, would be an encouragement uh, to your people. Uh, Lord, we, we come from so many different places, and yet what we have in common is our need for Christ. And so this morning, if there's anyone who has not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, I pray that, that today would be their day where they would cross that threshold of faith and surrender to you, repent of their sin, their selfishness, and, uh, and turn to the Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, just bring encouragement and joy to us as we sing now, as we celebrate, um, and let us remember who you are and who we are in Christ. And, and, and Lord, make us a people uh, of uncommon boldness and encouragement and generosity for your glory and for the good of each other and of those who haven't even heard 
the name of Jesus yet. We ask this in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.